I very rarely can talk about Tyonic without getting upset. And I get upset because I became a mom in um, 2013 and then he showed up in my life in 2018. And not to take away from anybody, but like once you become a mom, a parent, you like really know what true love is. And I knew whenever I was becoming a part of this little girl's life, what I was getting myself into. And I remember that day when I was went to Alaska to bring him here. Before I touched him, I paused because I knew I was touching a moment in history. Because this is not only an endangered species, but it's a um, it's the only beluga whale calf to ever have been rescued and survived. And so he's become my like whale kid. <laughs> but there's something about being a mom that has made this journey with him that much more special. Hi, I'm Cindy Simmons, and this is See the World with Cindy Simmons. So the whole goal of this podcast is to take you on an eye-opening journey and see the world, hence the name, through the lens of animal rescue, care and conservation, thrilling family adventures, and interesting people. Well, back in March of 2018, a very special rescued beluga whale named Tyonek joined the SeaWorld San Antonio pod. As we celebrate his five-year anniversary with us, we're going to go inside his story and tell you about his special journey from rescue and rehabilitation to how he is totally thriving today. So I'm really excited because we have two special guests today, Katie Kilojay and Steve Abel, who are here with us. And I'm going to let them kind of tell you their fancy titles. Are they fancy titles? Yes, we like to call them fancy titles. So yes, I'm Katie. I am curator of animal husbandry. Here I oversee our uh, animal ambassador team, actually, as well as our beluga whale and Pacific white-sided dolphin area where Tyonic lives. So um, I've been with him since uh, he came to us. And uh, I've been with SeaWorld now for 25 years. This is my 25th year with this park. So it's been a journey. It's been a ride. It's been a lot of fun. And we're excited to talk about this little whale. I'm Steve Abel. I'm the vice president of zoological operations here at SeaWorld in San Antonio. Um, I'm not going to count the years that I've been a part of the company, (laughs) but I will tell you this. I started back in 1987. So uh, in our Orlando park. So if you, if you, for any of you, if you want to do the math, feel free to do it and then send me a note, let me know. Um, But again, yeah, I think um, the experience both um, for Katie, for myself, and for really the uh, the industry was one one that's amazing when we we talk about beluga rescue, SeaWorld rescue, and Tyonic uh, specifically. I want to jump right in and hear all about Tyonic's story and how he came to you, and just kind of give us the the four one one, if you will. I think I can start. I was I was probably up in Alaska in Seward, Alaska, at the Alaska Sea Life Center on October 3rd. And this event started about September 30th is when I first heard the word Tyonic. I was actually um, just getting ready to board a plane to head to Mexico for uh, a conference. And um, I got a phone call that said, hey, I I might have to reroute you. And I said, what's going on? And and they started to explore the story of a, a a little month old beluga whale. We didn't know he was a month old at that point who had stranded. And um, long story short, the next morning, um, I got a call to say, hey, hop back on a plane. 
Uh, I'll meet you at the airport, give you uh, not warm weather gear, but rather cold weather gear and want you to head out to Alaska to see what we can do to help with this little beluga whale that had uh, stranded on a mudflat uh, out by Tyonic in Alaska, the Cook Inlet. So, okay, so that's how he got the name. Yeah, that's how he got the name, right? I mean, there's a small small village on the um, the western coast of the Cook Inlet in Alaska. Okay, awesome. How did you figure out that he was only a month? Well, we found out basically by um, by seeing the his size. Now, remember, SeaWorld here in San Antonio has one of the most successful breeding programs with beluga whales. Um, we've been having calves here since, Katie, do you know how long when it was Beethoven was born? Yeah, Beethoven was our first whale, and Beethoven's over 20 years of age right now. Um, we've had many, many belugas born since then. And, you know, one of the things that we do with, with these species that we have here in our parks is we learn about them from morphometrics, from size, how much do they eat, how much do they grow. So we were able to extrapolate and estimate that he was, it was a very young beluga, very young beluga, and um, he was probably anywhere between two weeks and six weeks old at the time that we first found him. Wow. How does a whale just get stranded? Because of his age? In his case, it could be a number of reasons. It could be something happened to his mother and he strayed from her. Um, it could be his own health issues that would cause the pod to kind of abandon him. Um, and he did come with significant health issues. So if I was a betting woman, that might be where I would place my bets. Uh, but yeah, there's a number of reasons why these guys will stray. Environmental weather. issues, weather, shipping. Sh- sh- yeah, shipping, uh-huh. traffic. There's, there's all kinds of things that could get them separated from the group. You know, they're not swimming around in super clear water. Uh, their water is pretty murky. It's kind of like chocolate milk they're swimming oh, wow. in. And so if their radar and all that isn't developed just yet and how they communicate, they can get lost from each other. There's a lot of, of different impacts that we see affect the belugas. And um, this population, the Cook Inlet beluga whales in Alaska are one of five general locations where belugas are found. And this for sure, the Cook Inlet is one of the areas that is the most populous with people around, right? So there's all sorts of things that these belugas have to navigate in their daily lives, like ships, construction, um, evolution of the environment, um, perhaps overfishing. There are a lot of things that are going to impact the whales that live here. And in this case, it's entirely possible that something impacted the mother-calf bond and he wound up alone and uh, stranded on a mud flat where fortunately, um, just by luck, there happened to be Carrie Gertz, Dr. Carrie Gertz, who was the veterinarian at the Alaska Sea Life Center very close by, and she was able to make an assessment. That, that ability right there was probably what saved Tyonic's life. Wow. Katie, you mentioned a minute ago that there were many things wrong with Tyonic. What were some of the things that were wrong when you first found him? Um, well, an, upon initial um, rescue, he suffered hydrocephalus and pneumonia. So he had fluid on his brain and he had pneumonia, um, which are pretty significant for a very young calf, right? And then about a month after his rescue, he suffered a spontaneous pneumothorax, which is a collapsed lung. Typically, that would happen because of some kind of injury to hit, like an impact to a person or an animal. Um, as he was under 24-hour care, 
there there was nothing that hit him and he didn't hit anything. So there was really no reason mm. medically why this happened to him. Um, and because of that, it created an air pocket in his lung cavity, which caused him become to become buoyant and unable to dive for food. Mm. And uh, it took about a month for him to recover from that pneumothorax um, and then several more months to recover from the hydrocephalus and the pneumonia. And ultimately, that pneumothorax was one of the reasons why he was deemed non-releasable, um, along with his young age and dependability on people. But that, that, uh, the potential that that could happen again could be detrimental to him in his natural environment. If he can't dive for food, he can't eat. So, yeah. so then what, what is that like for the first six months? Because it sounds like with all of those issues, what are the two of you and your teams having to do? Well, Again, this is a story of collaboration. Um, it truly is, Cindy. Um, it, was, it was very amazing to see SeaWorld and, you know, the industry respond so quickly and deliver expertise to one of these animals in need. So when we say the industry, we're saying SeaWorld, the Shedd Aquarium, the Mystic Aquarium, the Georgia Aquarium, the Vancouver Aquarium. Very, very quickly, within days, um, expert animal keepers were on site and they were tending to the things that Tyonic needed. And the first one was always, you know, the physical need of nutrition, right? We needed to be able to get him food. Um, and so that was really the first thing as we were assessing him and finding out, you know, what what are the challenges that this little whale is facing we also had to make sure that he was um, was starting to nurse, and his fashion of nursing was going to look very different than w- it would if he had his mom nearby. How how does a a whale nurse if their mom is not around? Um, in the beginning, we tube fed him, but this this is probably something that is one of the best stories that at least um, I saw with Tyonic is. We very, very quickly started discussing whether we could teach him to um, gain nutrition through milk from a bottle. And um, many times, you know very, very quickly if a young whale will have the potential to bottle feed because you'll see a suckling response. So, you know, I remember um, Eric Gaglione from the Georgia Aquarium, um, all the staff up there from the other aquariums, we said, well, how are we going to do this? And, and I know here in this park, Katie and I have done this before with a couple um, young whales that we've had here that we had to teach to bottle feed. The bonus with Tyonic is that he had an immediate suckling response right off the bat. The first day that we took that bottle and we put, we put it into his mouth, we immediately saw a very robust and very strong suckling response. We also saw, and for all the moms out there who have babies, you might be able to relate to this. I, I personally cannot, but um, that was very messy because <laughs> there was a lot of milk that was going down his throat, but there was a lot of milk that was just streaming out the sides of his mouth. Yeah. And um, Katie, probably by the time you got there, he was, he was really good. Mm-hmm. So we watched all of that and we realized that the ability to get him the nutrition that we needed, which was one of the most critical factors in not only delivering milk, but delivering medicine. Um, we could do that in a very hands-off way by teaching him to bottle feed. And we knew we knew right off the bat that we had a shot because he had a very strong suckling response, which 
which could tell us, I mean, it could tell us that he did spend time with his mom and he knew how to nurse um, out in the wild. And we feel like that benefited him once he came to us. I need. I know this is going to be silly, so pardon my ignorance, but this is why you're here and I'm asking the questions because I have no idea. I'm trying to get a visual <laughs> in my head because I was lucky enough to go to SeaWorld Orlando and I've, I've seen a manatee be bottle fed, but how big is a baby whale? Because in my head, I have this like cartoon vision of this ginormous bottle and this ginormous whale, but what does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, he he probably seems ginormous, you know, compared to like a human baby, but for a whale, he's pretty small. When when he came in, he was about 140 pounds, which is pretty small for a one month old beluga whale. Um, and it's a it's a calf bot, it's a cow, like a cow okay. bottle. Okay. Um, the same, you know, you could go to your local ranch store, yep. farming store, get a cow bottle, and it's a, it's the same same bottle. That, that we would use to feed those guys. Man, that's cool. <laughs> like in my head, I'm just picturing like, what a, what a cool moment. Were there any moments yeah. that you thought, oof, this is not going well, or did you constantly see improvement? In the early days, um, we were very pleased that, um, that he was able to get nutrition, that we were able to start assessing him early um, but every couple days, you know, we were seeing something that was like, oh, okay, we've got to be concentrating on this, or we've got to be concentrating on that. We weighed him, I would say daily for, um, for a long time. And, you know, we were just basically seeing is we're, we're getting him the nutrition that he needs, but is it, you know, being turned into body weight? Is he growing? Is he getting bigger? Is he getting okay. stronger? Um, but as Katie said earlier in the game, there were a lot of challenges that we saw with this little whale because, um, again, he was physically doing okay, but had, you know, all sorts of medical issues that Katie explained a little earlier, pneumothorax, lung, um, motility was, was real important. You know, anytime that you, you start an animal on, um, on like a formula, you know, it's not as digestible as mom's milk. So we want to make sure that it's moving through. So all of those things, and, and I wouldn't even say it was a daily checkup. You know, we were on 24 hours with him. So we were checking up on this guy um, by the minute. He was under constant surveillance. We were watching him very closely. And um, decisions were made, you know, almost by the hour on what we thought might be the best course of action. Okay. Um, but holistically, um, each day, you know, he got a little bit better. He got a little bit stronger. Um, there were certainly mountains that he had to climb throughout the first three or four months, but he was a fighter and he climbed them and he, um, it was exceptional to watch uh, on many, many levels. Was it fun feeling like, yay, we're like little parents. He made a poopy today. That's yay. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, and a poopy like every we're looking for it every couple hours. And, and, um, I don't want to like jump too far ahead, but I will, <laughs> I will mention, and maybe we can come back to it when we get further along in his story that we, we had several moments when, once he moved to the park where it was, it was dicey with mm. him medically. So, mm. um, he wasn't out of the woods by any means, but he came 
a long way towards recovery. Um, and then we had our challenges once he moved here. So, but yes, there have been a lot of like proud mama moments. And then there have been a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah. Just like a, just like a mama, a human mama. <laughs> what would you say like in that first six months or just e even the whole from the rescue and the first six months, maybe like what's the biggest thing you learned or the biggest takeaway? Um, for, for me personally, it has been, uh, the amount of communication, just the collaboration between my management, um, you know, the VP of our park, my immediate boss, our veterinarian. So the communication and just every little detail, uh, uh, the team communicating, you know, they're FaceTiming me in the middle of the night so that I, I would sleep with my phone on the pillow next to me so that when they called me in the middle of the night, I could just open one eye and see what he was doing. Um, and then something that I've learned is one step at a time. Yeah. You, you want to like fix all the things all at once and you just want him to be better. And it's a slow process and you just have to go one, one day, one step at a time. And it, and at one point, we were literally increasing his base by one fish every three days. Not one pound of fish, one, one fish. fish. Wow. Every, the, my team would count out 33 fish for the day. And then three days later, we would count out 34 fish. So it was very slow, take your time. That's what worked for him. So that was kind of my... I think biggest takeaway, and I've I've applied that to other situations in my career since that with him. Steve, what about you? Did you have like one moment that you were like, "Oh, that wow"? Uh, um, one in a thousand moments. <laughs> um, I think the biggest one that I that I like to talk about a lot is that Tyonic's success and and the challenges that he was able to overcome was due to the normal things that we do here every single day, right? Because in normality, you learn, I don't know if that's a word, but, we'll go but with it. In, in the normal course of, of what you do here with, with all of the animals here, you're acquiring this wealth of knowledge that one day you'll apply. And in this case with Tyonic, I mean, we had to apply it all very quickly in a, in a dicey situation and you start to realize how much not only you have learned, but how much you have to give away. And then you look around the room and you realize that these folks at the Shedd Aquarium, these folks at the George Aquarium, these folks at the Mystic Aquarium, these folks at the Alaska Sea Life Center, they also have that. And I think for me, that's one of the greatest things that SeaWorld contributes to rescue and rehabilitation is that in our normal course of work, we're acquiring so much knowledge that nobody else has. Like who, who in the world, right, mm -hmm. knows how very quickly to assemble a team of people who can bottle feed a baby beluga whale. Right. That's a unique skill set. Yeah. And so for me, we acquire all this knowledge to do what? Mm -hmm. To give it away. And when we were able to give it away to a young beluga whale that was in need, to me, that's a, that's a highlight of what this industry stands for and what SeaWorld stands for. When we say 40,000 rescues, 
every one is due to that, mm -hmm. is due to that this company uh, and many companies throughout it, uh, the AZA accreditation process, they all have that and they're all doing that. And for us to be able to speak of that and share that with people is a highlight for me. I love that. You know, I think you know, I've had people act, ask me this, and that's why I always love to ask this question. So say, you know, Tyonic is, is feeling better. Yay, he's great. Why couldn't he be returned to the ocean? Because I know you mentioned that earlier. Yeah, I think in his case, he was almost two years old before he was, had, com had completely recovered from all wow. of his ailments. And at that point, you would argue he, let's say he lived a full six weeks with his, his species, his pod, his mother. Mm -hmm. So he lived six weeks with his pod, and then he's lived two years with, with adults yeah. or with humans. He's, he associates people with can, a, a full belly. He associates people with, we became the pod, if you will. Yeah. Um, also, just learning the language. We saw him learn the language of our beluga pod when he came here. He did not, they didn't speak the same language when, when he first came. Um, you know, he was kind of the odd kid in the pool. And it took a while. It took about eight months, 10 months before you saw him starting to interact with them. So he had to learn a language that was different from the group he came from. Mm -hmm. So to, to turn around and take an animal that by the time he's fully recovered medically, two years old, has learned a different way to, to speak with his species and associates people with food, fun, fair... <laughs> You're not setting him up for success. Right. You'd to, be setting to, him up to fail. To try to, yeah, to try to put him back. Well, and then how does SeaWorld get chosen as he, that's his going to be, you know, it's going to be his forever home. Like who makes those decisions? How are those decisions made? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's one that we, we like to talk about because it's not SeaWorld that says, hey, we will take this whale in. Um, we offer up our facilities and our expertise and... In this case, um, as in most cases, probably all cases with rescued animals, that decision is made by the government through NOAA, right? Um, so NOAA is um, the organization that overlooks marine mammals. And what they're going to do in this case is they put out um, to all the beluga holders, you know, would anybody um, like to take this animal afterwards, after they have made the decision to say he's um, not releasable. Okay. So the first step that they're going to go through is say, is this animal a candidate for release or not? In this instance, they assemble a wide variety of subject matter experts from a variety of um, disciplines of marine mammal expertise. And those folks will talk about the pros and cons. And for the most part, um, we have a little bit of, of input in terms of listening to the discussions, but we're not a part of how those decisions are made. And once he's deemed as a non-releasable candidate, then, you know, an, a request will go out for aquariums that would, would be able to provide a home for him. And in this case, I want to say, I think everybody um, in the United States said we, we, would, um, we would take him, and that's Georgia and Ched and SeaWorld and Mystic. And at that point, you fill out a very large application that says, um, how would you take care of his physical well-being, his social well-being, his, his mental well-being? 
and you know, in your answers, um, then Noah will make a decision on where they feel like the whale will thrive. And in the case of SeaWorld, um, we were very fortunate in that we had a very large group of belugas with some similar age young calves. Um, I think that's what sets SeaWorld aside from every other place is our okay. successful breeding program happened to coincide with similar aged calves. We also had breeding females and we had some older males and females in the group that created a very, very well-balanced environment for him to come into and similar age conspecifics to, to live with. So, um, we were very fortunate, um, when uh, the announcement came out that he was coming to SeaWorld, and then we said, oh boy, this is going to be a lot of work. <laughs> you mentioned NOAA. What does that stand for? Yeah, NOAA is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. And I had so many That's guesses, but that a, was a none lot, of them. A lot of words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so my but again, you know, to speak to them, they're partners, right? So they, they are uh, challenged with enforcing all the rules that surround marine mammals. And we want to have a very good relationship with them. We do. We work with them all the time. Um, we worked with them just recently on one of the rescues that we did here in Texas of a bottlenose dolphin about a year ago and also a manatee. So, you know, like everything else, one of the greatest things about this experience was that we're working with all sorts of different organizations for the betterment of marine mammal science. Mm, I love that so much. Well, now, okay, it's been five years. How is our guy doing today? One of the greatest compliments that we've ever gotten is um, so many people have that were a part of his initial care in Alaska have actually come to see him. So Aww. Eric Gaglione from Georgia Aquarium and um, actually even the helicopter pilot that flew him from the shoreline to the Alaska Sea Life Center has been here to see him. Oh. And the best compliment we get is they walk up to the pool and they go, well, where is he? You know, wh which one, which one is he? They can't tell. They can't oh, tell who, wow. who he is, which has told us that, you know, he has integrated into the pod. He's, he maneuvers just like the rest of them. He acts just like the rest of them. And so that's been such a, a nice thing to be able to have these folks come and, and see him and see how big he's gotten. Actually, the um, CEO of Alaska Sea Life Center was here yeah. just a couple of weeks ago, and she just, she was elated. She couldn't believe how big he's gotten Aww. and just how handsome he is. Um, since Tyonic has come here, we have actually had another beluga calf born. His name is Tulak. He will be two years old this summer. And mm. it's been very interesting to see how Tyonic has, in a way, kind of taken this to be anthropomorphic big brother role um, in teaching. And so it's like, really? wow, like we've got this whale that when he, when he came here, he was kind of, again, the, the odd animal in the pool. And now you see him interacting with Tulak as a beluga whale and teaching Tulak how to be a beluga whale. He's doing great. I mean, I don't, he's thriving. He's, he's part of the team. He's part of the, the, and the, and the team loves him. They, they love being a part of his story. They love sharing his story with our, our guest. I mean, there's not a, there's not a guest that gets to come through our area. That's not going to hear about Tyonic and the plight of the cook and lit belugas for that matter. So. We really feel a huge responsibility to share about him. And, you know, it's kind of our, our 
place since we are the lucky ones that get to care for him to be able to talk about him and share his story. But he's he's just like everybody else, just chugging along, being a beluga. He's growing. He's about 720 pounds right now. Wow. Yep. Makes me feel better about my holiday weight gain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we don't complain about their holiday weight gain. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a good thing. (laughs) What do you think with what's happened with him and the rescue and over the last five years, what has it helped you learn as far as other belugas um, and mammals out in the wild? You know, well, for me, you you learn something from everyone that you have. Um, I think that everything that we learn from one individual beluga goes back not only to help the other belugas in the pod, but also the other cetaceans in the park, the whales and dolphins. So again, if if we need to learn how to how to feed um, a baby dolphin, well, we've done that a couple times with belugas, and many of the things that you learn from that process are going to be able to be applied to the next animal. But it's bigger than that. You know, it, it, it beluga whales can help in the care of birds, and beluga whales can help in the care of coyotes and native native animals that live here around Texas. I, I say that because Shelly is one of the coyotes that we've rescued, and we have here who people might not think about her when they come to SeaWorld, but it gives us not only the ability to talk about animals that are far away, but some of those learnings can be applied right next door to animals that you have walking around your backyards. So I always feel like that's the gift, right? I mean, working with these animals is is truly a gift because if you take some of the process that we use, positive reinforcement, um, being aware of what animals need, you really have the ability to make the world, not only not only the world in your backyard, but the bigger world a better place. We, we need to talk about the Cook Inlet because there's only about 280, 279, I, I think is one of the most recent numbers of beluga whales in the Cook Inlet. That's a very small population. It's deemed as, as endangered. So back in 1979, I want to say there were about 1,300. So, you know, it's a reduction of about 75% of the animals, again, in a very populous area where people are impacting um, the health of the whales. So for us to take Tyonic's story, which is an amazing story, one of collaboration, one where people came together to improve one little whale, we can do that with much bigger populations. And how do we do it? We do it by talking about them. We do it by having Katie here who can... uh, effervescently just share his story from, you know, day six month to day, to day five years. Um, when we do that, I think we do all the things at SeaWorld's mission, which is trying to make the better place for animals and trying to educate people about them. Oh my gosh. It is one of like a million reasons. I love this podcast so much because every time we do an episode, I learn something new. And I think it's to your point, it's, it's such a good way to get out what the passion is, right? What the priority is for SeaWorld and it's the care and rehabilitation of these animals and just the love that you can feel like everything that you and Katie said, you can just feel the love like just oozing in the nicest way possible, oozing, you know, out. And I, oh, I love it so much. Okay. Before I let both of you go, we always end by asking each of our guests, what is the best thing you have seen in the world? So Katie, I'm going to start with you. Tell me what is the best thing you have seen in the world? 
Good. You get to Wait, start. <laughs> the best thing I've seen in the world? Best thing you have seen in the world. Doesn't have to be at SeaWorld. Does it in your your own universe, whatever. In the what is the best thing you have seen in the world? Well, now I'm gonna cry. Thank you very much. <laughs> I feel very Oprah-like now. So um the best thing, and, and this does tie into Tyonic's story. The best thing I've seen in the world is being a mom. Here, here. I can't relate. I, 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 I can't, I very rarely can talk about Tyonic without getting upset. And I get upset because I was a mom. I became a mom in um, 2013, and then he showed up in my life in 2018. And I have just as many pictures on my phone of him as I do of her. And uh, I think, you know, in a weird way, like you don't, and not to take away from anybody, but like once you become a mom, a parent, you like really know what true love is. And this journey with my child growing up and watching Tyonic and, you know, she asked about him all the time. And, um, I, I knew whenever I was becoming a part of this little girl's life, what I was getting myself into. And I remember that day when I was, went to Alaska to bring him here before I touched him, I paused because I knew I was touching a moment in history because this is not only an endangered species, but it's a, um, it's the only beluga whale calf to ever have been rescued and survive. And so he's become my like whale kid. <laughs> he's like my little whale. He's my like <laughs> he's my whale baby. I've got my baby baby and then I've got my whale baby. Oh my gosh. And um, you know, I just it's maybe a a little too much how much I love this whale, but um I, I don't think that I would, I don't know, maybe I would feel the same about him if I wasn't a mom, but there's something about being a mom that has made this journey with him that much more special. Oh my gosh, I'm a mom. I have two little girls, little girls, they're not so little anymore, but uh, so I, I understand that. Oh my goodness. Wait, it's like dusty in here or something, Katie, <laughs> Steve, please say something about baseball or something. <laughs> yeah. I, now I think we should have ended with Katie. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's why Katie's such a great leader, frankly speaking, is the passion um, that she has to take care of Tyonic and, and all the animals that she works with. So I'm lucky to have her. Um, I'm going to answer also by saying, of course, my wife and my kids. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you a SeaWorld answer because in the position of being... Um, a vice president, you really get to see the spread of what all of your teams are doing. And so while Katie's talking about this passion that she has for Tyonek, um, I have people here who are talking about that same passion for turtles and the rescue work that we do with our turtles in the Laguna Madre on the coast of Texas, or our work that we do with the Texas Marine Mammal Stranding Network or spreading it out to California. They work the work that they do with all their animals in the park and the rescue efforts they do with California sea lions and elephant seals. And then all the manatee work that's done in Florida. This company has reach. This company has the ability to take an unprecedented amount of expertise and do good with it. And so for me, from a work standpoint, I think that's an amazing thing about SeaWorld is we give back 
and we give back in spades and we give back every day. We give back on Christmas. We give back at midnight. Um, we give back because people cry if they don't. People cry because they're passionate. People cry because they want to give everything that they can to the animals that they take care of. And if you sit back and you look at it, it's really impressive to watch. And it's it's the greatest thing about this type of, of work is you're making life better for animals. And that's why, we're all, that's why we all came. I love you both. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love my job. And I love stories with a happy ending. So Steve and Katie, thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Pleasure is all ours. <laughs> it is truly incredible to see the zoological community come together to save this little guy's life. It has got to be one of the most rewarding things about working with marine animals, as I'm sure we have just heard that from both Steve and Katie. Um, well, I'm Cindy Simmons, and please join us on the next See the World. As always, check out SeaWorld.com and select your favorite park to stay in the loop on all of the great things happening at SeaWorld. And lastly, it would also mean the world to me if you subscribed, left a review, and shared this podcast with all of your wonderful friends. Thanks for hanging out with us and we'll see you next time.